Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Well, welcome lovers of product. Today I'm here with Jay Brewer from Rapid7. Jay, why don't we kick this off by you giving us a little overview of your background? Sure. Um, Jay Brewer, I'm the Vice President of Experience Design at Rapid7. Background-wise, you know, really grew up. My dad's a designer and an artist, and my mom was a really business-focused mother to actually kind of enable my dad to do a lot of the things he did. So I grew up doing a lot of design work and then, you know, couldn't really escape it. Um, you know, I even went to school and tried to go into philosophy and other stuff, ended up getting a design focused degree in advertising. And, you know, I've done things from video games to music to uh, toys to software. I worked for the New York Times, always been, you know, working on solving and delivering things for customers and like what they really need. Um, I've always thought about it that way because of my dad's design studio and all the projects he would do growing up. So I've always knew like, how do you translate those things that people want and therefore are going to use and find useful or their, their dollar spend? And then how do you deliver that and really get that? So like, that's really been my background, you know, and, and I happen to be now in security, which is just another really interesting space. So you've had a pretty diverse background. You talked about entertainment, video games, toys. Uh, you even mentioned the New York Times, which I had no idea about. Talk to me about that background and then the transition into Rapid7. Yeah, I think, first of all, I have to go back to being obsessed as a kid owning an Atari 2600 and thinking about getting into video games. And I, I do believe that obsession with games helped me really understand engagement and also just really delighting and, and connecting with customers and, and, and with people emotionally. And I think, you know, the thing was, is that I loved working on games and it was what I was doing before for this change in transition to Rapid7. It's exciting to work on properties like Lord of the Rings and Lord of the Rings Online, Dungeons and Dragons Online, DC Comics. Especially the company that I worked, the studio I worked with got bought by Warner Brothers. And it's an all-consuming job. And I think the thing is, like, it's a type of design where you decide what really the experience is and what the game is and then how you're going to engage with the customer. And why I think it is, you know, a transition into security is, you know, to kind of Work on something that simply affects everyone's lives, you know, is pretty compelling, right? So like, and the problem landscape, what you're deciding to solve is always changing and how you're going to look at what attackers and hackers and things are doing, how you're going to visualize those networks and the problems and all the data that they're, that they may be getting away with is really kind of a hard problem to solve. But if we solve it, then, you know, we can protect people's livelihoods and we can, we can make security people kind of not just people who everybody doesn't want to talk to, but actually are like taking care of things and you don't have to worry about all your credit cards going out the door. And so it's kind of like the reverse of video games, but it's a video game that's just always going and happening. Right. And so in order to do catch those real bad guys, you, you've got to be very nimble and flexible and you have to have a variety of like different products and things to make security people successful. So I just think it's, you know, really cool to make something that's about thousands of adversaries at once, not just like you fighting against Batman. So that's how I looked at it. at least. 
It's very interesting. So let's dig into that a little bit. Let's let's talk about both of those things or both of those industries, spaces, security and video games. But let's talk about video games first. So talk to me. You, you mentioned it's all consuming. Can you expound on that a little bit? Oh, like making games? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is the land of never done is all, all of our jobs as designers, right? Like you're just never done. But in games... You take something like, for instance, when I worked on Lord of the Rings Online and you create all the maps of Middle-earth, right? And you make it so that the person can click the M key and the map comes up and they can go through Breland and the Lowlands and whatever. And you get it to that sort of first state and it's really assistive. It helps them travel and traverse the world. And then you realize that you need a radar. And then you realize that you need wayfinding inside the game, like so that when they go by the prancing pony, they know which way to turn to go a certain way. And so, you know, it's every different system really kind of builds and grows and you're never really done. You, you know, with these live digital games, especially the ones I worked on that were MMOs, you're just always iterating, improving, trying to make it better. And then there's another large system and another large system. And they're like, let's do monster play and let's add this. So as a user interface, user experience designer, you're pushing things to this edge and then hoping to work on all of them over time. And it's just, it's just never ending. And so how well you solve that problem and how well the customer, you know, the player gets to really experience it and feel like it's Tolkien or any type of the game, then it's, it's just all consuming, you know? And, and I really love that. I think my job now is all consuming, but it's maybe a little less focused on that iteration and more of the speed and delivery and being able to like deliver success quickly to customers versus how engaging and all encompassing like the game world is. So I guess that's how I see the two being a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And there's this whole aspect of storytelling, right? And I think that transitions from video games into B2B too, right? Talk to me about the impact storytelling's had on your career from a product perspective. I'd say the ability to tell stories is probably the number one skill that has made me successful, honestly. The ability to connect emotionally with people on the product team, broadly across Rapid7, and say like, why do we really want like a great end-to-end experience? Especially when I first got here like four years ago, like you know, it was a very sales-driven company with a lot of technology, not as much focus on the end user and not as much focus on um, the design and the elegance of the products and that they could be very simple, like, because security can be very complex. And I think the ability to paint a picture that it could be a consumer-like engagement and experience and walk them through what that experience could be like and show how that could like be like, imagine this person who's just like frustrated every day they scan their network. They they come in every day. No one wants to talk to them. And they just can't even, they don't even have enough time for lunch. And then like over time, we could get it so that they're putting their feet up at lunch and eating this awesome sandwich, you know, and like taking them through a story that talks about like why that is. And then not like blaming anybody for the parts of the experience that are bad, but saying like it could be better and like it could be engaging. And then the customer is going to be more secure. We're going to be more secure. You know, and that's kind of one of the things where, you know, and I know we don't need to talk exhaustively about Pendo, but why we use Pendo is to basically, you know, engage with our customers and make them have the ability to understand the story and the opportunity in our experiences and then therefore engage with it and then use it and be more secure. 
which is very different than when you work in games where you're creating an on-ramp to kind of engage with customers and, you know, keep them coming back to play the game so that you can, you know, monetize them, engage, have them have really good experiences with other players. There's all kinds of good reasons there. But it's, um, I think there's a, a, almost a, like a noble storytelling and good when you think about the security case. Yeah, so I want to get into experience design, but before we do that, tell me a little bit about the challenges of working in the security field as, as a product guy, as a designer. Yeah, so I would say, you know, given that security is a sensitive issue, right, and, you know, we, talk, we hear about all these different places where customers lose their data, right, like from Uber to Sony to all these different things, and they use a variety of products probably to do that, and they or they weren't using anything, and that's why it happened. Trying to talk to and engage with actual security practitioners, they can be kind of clo- you know guarded close to the chest, or they don't want to totally tell you everything that's happening that they're doing with their environment, and that can be hard to understand exactly what their process is and what their view of security is. Like, are they trying to keep everybody out? Are they trying to just monitor their network and see what's happening? Are they doing a combination of both? And so really learning how they view security and then learning how they're actually using our tools to do security and what it means and is it effective was frankly like kind of an unknown when I got here. You know, they had a lot of like what customers, like how many things they might be setting up or like how many deployments went like successfully in 30 days and they started scanning their network. But like, were they dashboarding? Were they reporting? Were they sharing information with other people? Were they begging IT or DevOps to fix these vulnerabilities and these servers and whatever. So I think that that, I think that's a challenging thing when also to try to ask that person, that person's also overwhelmed and overworked. And so being able to kind of passively learn and then engage with clusters of behavior, like one of the things that we, you know, use Pendo for is to see outliers and to see people who like to dashboard and whatever, and then ask them like, how can we make this better? And like, what's that all about? And like, and then have them opt in for research and then want to engage with us. What we found over time is that actually security people are much like all the other people in the world, that they're more than willing to give you their feedback if you engage them in the proper order and and way and don't ask them about specifically what they're doing, but just what they're trying to do that they think will make them successful. And then, you know, have an interview with them, give them a survey, that type of thing, look at their user behavioral analytics or whatever through Pendo and and create a pool of customers. So I think that was a challenge in security is creating that pool of engagement and then figuring out the right way to engage, you know? So let's let's jump over to experience design. Maybe we start by talking about what exactly is experience design. Yeah, so I think it's what we consider a little bit more than product design um, and user-centered design and even like user research. It's all three of those things, you know, and it's caring and partnering really across the business to make the entire set of experiences really from the moment they engage with us as a potential customer to really the deep use or the reoccurring use of that, you know, that engagement as a customer, all of those different people at all those different touch points, whether they're, you know, going to use the website or have to pay an invoice or use the product or understand what the renewal is. Those are all places where it can be really frustrating to engage with, such a variety of technology that you stitch together in a software as a service company, right? Like we don't build everything here at Rapid7. So we might have a billing system and support and, and we're just trying to make that all better. And obviously we have really deep, awesome security tools, but we also, you know, acquire 
a lot of businesses that would help us on our security journey. And so it's this constant thing of like looking at the entire experience and try and design like the best overall experience. So it's a mixture, I guess, maybe someone say that a little customer experience, you know, a little product experience or product design, but all of that is the experience that that customer is having with us. And I think those three pillars that I talked about, you know, about the business part, the research part, really understanding them and really product design and delivering on those experience. That's kind of how I think of experience design. Yeah, and I, I feel like now there's a push to more thinking about experiences within products as opposed to features. And maybe that seems obvious to the designer in you, but to the product person, I think we've grown up thinking about the world as features. And for a while that was okay, maybe, but Agile's kind of pushed us to this, you know, to getting features out really quick and, and therefore getting to bloat and getting to feature factories. But now I feel like there's this pendulum shift back to experiences and the concept of how it makes a customer feel or help them accomplish something as opposed to just a, a feature. Right. Yeah, that's, I think that that's definitely happening here. And we've moved to a model where we're delivering on what we're calling outcomes. I think we talked a lot about when we were at Pandemonium, there was a lot of outcome talk there. And that's more of like, you know, in the insecurity, you scan your network or do different things to kind of get visibility into what's happening. You know, and a lot of security practitioners get to a point where they're kind of successful at understanding a lot of things that are happening on their network, but they really don't actually understand how to improve it, right? And some of them are new customers that are doing this for the first time, and some of them are existing customers. And when we think about that experience, right, of like setting it up, getting it going, like, you know, scanning it, getting some results, showing your boss, like, that you've got a report, like going over to IT and saying, I'm going to want to fix this stuff because I'm worried that all these flash players are going to infect all the computers with malware or whatever it is, you know, like, and then from an existing customer, oh, I didn't know you had this new way to scan my network. And like, I've got to like kind of change some things or whatever. Those are two very different experiences, right? Like, and the core of the experience is the emotional state is like, they just kind of want to improve their security program and get visibility into what's happening and, and become a better practitioner and not look like an idiot in front of a lot of people at their work, right? And so along the way, how do you assure them? What do you design in the product experience that says like, these are good results. You know, this is something you can act on. Here's something you can communicate to the people that are your stakeholders. You should be doing this as an ongoing point of view. What's our point of view? Do we actually have a point of view? And you think about that, like, that's a lot of stuff. And it's not really about features. It's about the, all the things that would make that person successful in that experience, right? And that's a different journey because there's lots of those journeys. Like a lot, of, I think in product development in the classic, you would have said like, hey, Eric, we're going to go make a product that lets people scan their servers and find things that are broken, right? Oh, well, what are the features that we might go through with that? Like, they probably need to scan the network. They'll probably need a page of results. You know, like, it's not, the language is very different when you look at it about building it and delivering on the features versus the overall success and the value of what that would be and communicating that. I think that's kind of, you know, that's definitely how we talk about things here. And that means that experience design is very relevant to product teams and especially product managers. 
Yeah, it's very relevant in the fact that like, if we think about how we have empathy towards the customer and their success, and the only thing we're here is to make the customer successful, like not customer success making them successful, but us as designers, product managers, engineers, that if we learn about their outcomes, like, you know, every Friday, I just need to deliver a report to the board and I want it to be prioritized in a way that makes me look like I understand security risk and it educates them that I actually have it and I know that these are the things that are important. And if they have questions, that I can answer those questions and they'll become educated and become part of my security team across the company, right? And help me do my job better. That's why it's relevant. That's a different way of looking at than we need to deliver reports so that things get fixed so that you don't lose your job, right? It's like, there's, there's a lot more of the education, the collaboration, the empathy towards others, and then their empathy towards that person and the sort of those transactions, you know? So talk to me about how PM should optimize this product experience and product experiences for their customers. Yeah, I think if you can optimize and look towards empathy with the customer, there's so much emotion, I think, for the lives of all of our customers and like what they're working on, especially in security, right? Like I talked a little bit about not being embarrassed, looking knowledgeable, caring about whether or not they're um, going to have their job the next day. And I think if you think about how that customer thinks about the return on investment in engaging with your product and then the goal that the customer has and take out the need that you want to just deliver something and, and get it out there so that you can get feedback on it, but you're really trying to deliver on something that you want to get feedback on whether or not it met their needs and their emotional state, then I think you can benefit in you know really getting everyone in the product mix from product management and engineering and UX to kind of not check the box, but check in on that customer and see how it's going and then do something and think about something that's unexpected that would collapse their work or make their emotional state better or assure them that it's a really good thing. I guess that's, you know, when I think about, you know, why PM should optimize for experience, it's really because they're optimizing for an experience that they're going to have every day. And you want to make that awesome, right? Like we like, I, you know, we like using our iPhones for a reason. We like using products for a reason. They should love engaging with Rapid7 for a variety of reasons and feel supported and not neglected and not like it's another thing that they need to do. It's actually, it's kind of benefiting them to kind of engage with us more. Right? So that's, that's why I think it's a different way for product managers to think about what's that engagement of the overall experiences and then the sets of experiences within it. So. so does experience design require like a background in design thinking or human-centered design? I think it does if that's the approach that makes sense to get the best experience, right? Like design thinking has got empathy in it. You know, it's got a drives definition through empathy a lot of times. But I think there's so much more to the experience than just also the emotional thing, right? So like, take for example, um, I was doing research on this product recently called the One Wheel. And it is a self-balancing skateboard-like thing that has this one wheel in the middle and you, you kind of ride it like a snowboard, right? And when I got, I'm super excited about it and I'm like really into it, but I'm like, you know, is this thing going to hurt me? Am I going to be able to learn it? 
Like, what do other people say about it? Like, how much does it cost? Is this right for me? Like, is this a product that's designed and I'm going to be able to work on it, like work with it, like ride it? And when you think about all those different things I, I talked about, they're, they're like a whole bunch of little things that help you understand like the product and then all the things that assure you about the product and then all the things that reinforce and help you think like, I'm going to be able to learn it. I'm going to be able to ride it. It has this application for me. And so I think that it's kind of like there's a bit of human-centered thinking. There's a little bit of product design. There's a lot of the experience. There's a lot of like documentation and content and things that you need to consume. And then, you know, even after you decide to purchase it, what is the nurturing and the learning and the engagement with the product? So I think that experience design just requires a lot of research. It requires a lot of being able to produce content and wrapping up the experience. It also requires designing and making really great products. But then, you know, how do you then convince and deliver that product and work cross-functionally in the business all the way through to customer success and supporting the product and think about all those upstream, downstream things so that you can really deliver a product. The product is all of that. And the experience as a customer is all that stuff, you know? And so I don't think the experience, the design team does all that, but we definitely converse and interact with all those other teams so that we don't have all those gaps in the overall experience. Should experience design be focused on customer delight or customer satisfaction? I, it has to have a little bit of both, you know, like, you know, it's delightful to, I'll, you know, there's this app called Jumbo. That's a security application you can get for your iPhone and you might be able to get it for Android as well. Yeah. And Jumbo is this auditing security tool that looks at your Facebook security settings and your Google security settings. And it'll say like, Hey, we've got recommendations. Do you want to also delete all your Alexa voice recordings and you know, whatever. So it kind of like you hook it up and it kind of delights you. You're like, I didn't even think about all that stuff. I didn't know about this point of view. It's educating me, you know, about security, about privacy. And at the same time, it's actually taking care of those things for me. And maybe I can even turn it on to auto delete and whatever. I think when those are both delighters and satisfiers, and I think that you, you know, when you think about all these outcomes and then the things that you want to measure and you want to understand delight and you want to understand satisfaction, you know, you've got to create an overall experience that has these delighters that kind of kick you up really high and satisfaction that keeps you that things are being maintained and then delight that like there's new opportunities and new experiences for them to help them grow as a security person or who's ever using your product as a better one wheel rider or for jumbo that there's more opportunities for you to be secure and private, but then also that it's not going to just break or not keep working. It's going to keep kind of that scaffolding around. So I feel like it has to be a little bit of both. Talk to me about the metrics that matter. You know, when you're, when you're talking about experience design, what do you measure? You know, we definitely think about these outcomes, right? And for example, like, you know, as a new customer, I want to be able to deploy my stuff, get visibility into my network because I want to scan it and I want to produce a report and fix a variety of things. So my, I feel more secure and therefore my, you know, my boss feels like I'm handling it or the company I work for knows that I'm actually producing value. There's a lot of metrics within those outcomes. So for metrics, it's like, 
you know, time to first scan and all those classic things like time to uh, first produce a report that drives a uh, fixing things. But it could also be like the overall feeling of I actually have coverage of my network, like how much coverage I've got. I've got 90% coverage in so many days. So I, I think like when you come to those things, you're measuring like on outcomes. And then there's a lot of experiences within that, you know, like little experiences, larger experiences. And I, and, you know, I think it depends on your area of product expertise, you know, like I bet when they design the one wheel, right. They're looking for some sort of outcome to get the rider up and running and feeling comfortable. And they had a product that was like the old one wheels were really difficult. They actually, you can stop in both directions and, that's actually really hard to get somebody up and successfully riding. And it also costs a lot of money. They get frustrated buying this thing. It costs 1500 bucks. And now the second version of this, we've learned that we're going to build in only for you to be able to, you know, one wheel forward. You can't go backwards and forwards. And we're going to build in an auto stop so that it's easy to put your tail down. And so I think they're probably measuring all those different types of things in order to arrive at iteration and improvements in the experience frustration points. So I also think like for security, we, we need to figure out like, oh, wow, you know, it took them 60 days. They did all this stuff, but they never ran any reports. Like what's going on there? Why are they not running reports? Why is it taking existing customers a bunch of time to adopt a feature versus new customers? Because, oh, we didn't actually design for existing customers a way to migrate and what, you know, the time for them to do it. So there's all these metrics involved and all that. But yeah, I think we can talk about metrics to death. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about design-driven product management. Is it something that exists? And what does it look like? You know, I, I thought a lot about this, and I think design-driven product management makes me think about what it was like when I worked in games at first. It was the concept of the release, so that, like, you know, in the next release of this game, this is the experience our new players will have when they buy the game and download it and They'll have more maps available. Maybe there's more champions for them to play. Maybe there's more middle areas of Middle Earth. They'll be able to interact with other players. They'll be able to uh, get up and running from zero to level 10 really quickly. They'll have engagement with other players across other regions because there's a mail system. And so I think the overall experience is one that is really important for you to understand every time you're doing something and you're adding to the experience, that essentially it drives design to kind of button up a lot of these other things to create a release that's meaningful for a customer. So what's the story that you're going to tell the customer what's that they're going to do when this new release comes out? So like Pendo just had the Data Explorer as a great example. And it's like more than ever before, you'll be able to look across your features, your guides, your pages, and understand like a high resolution satellite view of things that were you were looking at discreetly and now they can come together so you can learn about complex behaviors and interactions that you've never seen before. So I'm just telling a story about like what that is and what the engagement's going to be like and what the opportunity is and then what the object of desire is, right? So when I think about design-driven product management, it's like really constantly telling those stories and experiences that the customers are going to have new existing, new customers that we never had, maybe new segments. And then with low to high fidelity, like how do you communicate that to your internal stakeholders so that they understand the experience, 
the opportunity for the customer, why it's important, what's going to happen when they actually stitch these things together. And then what the customer is going to do that you communicate to product marketing or down the road so that when this thing rolls out, they understand the release, the opportunity, like what the engagement is going to be. And that's really that design-driven experience thinking that everyone's really telling these stories, you know, and that, you know, I think you can translate that to a variety of different stakeholders so that they understand why it's compelling and, and why it's going to be an awesome experience. So now at Rapid7, you manage a pretty diverse team from user experience, design, to research, to engineers. How do you get everyone aligned around a vision? I mean, I, I can't say constant communication, right? So we have teams in eight different locations. So from Belfast, Northern Ireland, to Dublin, to Boston, Los Angeles, Arlington, Virginia, LA, Toronto, time zones, cultural differences. I think aligning them to obviously the company vision and our customers' success, you know, what our vision is for these outcomes for our customer, and then understanding helping designers really and a you know, diverse team of researchers, designers, and engineers understand that they're not building their bricks, that we're building the cathedral, right? Like we're building this awesome experience for security practitioners and all the things they do contribute to that. And therefore the things that they're working on, they need to talk with other designers and other team members and not just locally at their office, but have that dialogue across Slack, have design critiques, present their work at demos, meet other people like locally that aren't in design and product development from their go-to-market people in sales and marketing, and then really keep everyone aligned to that overall vision, but then communicate how they're fulfilling that vision. I mean, and just never stop talking about our mission and what we're doing for security. And I think then, therefore, then they're like, well, this is the thing I'm working on. It ladders into this customer who's really frustrated and they want to give their report. That's really going to help people in sales talk about how they can like alleviate stress at board level. It's really going to help do this and like this customer. And so like it's that type of thing where I'm always talking like that. And I, I also think as a leader in the company, you have to model the behavior and the engagement you want them to have with other people so that they can inform and uh, manage their contribution to the mission, which I think helps them kind of stay interacting and stay on target, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, if we look out to the future, how do you think things are going to change? Like, what does the future of product management and product entail to you? I think, you know, it's definitely this thing where if we can just be completely obsessed with the customer, both the business and product and you know, success and support. And we're only really talking about the things that really drive their success. So for instance, like in um, Insight VM, it's our vulnerability scanner. They, they need to get visibility. They need to scan and they need to, you know, prioritize that stuff and fix it. And then keep doing all that over and over. That if we're all talking about the things that make the customer successful and get them to their outcomes, then we're not talking about you know, the research method and we're not talking about, you know, the business goals. We're not talking about the fact that I need to get more leads to target those people. We're just saying like, how do we work and communicate that we can make them successful in these things and that we are 
like obsessed with what they need to be successful in. I think that's the future. It's like kind of everybody coming together and not just UX thinking about the user and PM thinking about the business and engineering thinking about feasibility. It's really just thinking about, I happen to have had some skills that I'm going to contribute here, but I'm really going to really only focus on the outcomes and the things that customers need to be successful. That's how I think it's really going to change. Awesome. So let's wrap this up by talking about you a little bit. What's your favorite product? Currently, I'm very obsessed with this synthesizer from OPZ. It's called OPZ from Teenage Engineering. If you're into design and products, you should check out Teenage Engineering. They make some really cool stuff. They have these pocket synthesizers and speakers and other stuff. But this OPZ is sort of the evolution of one of their products called the OP1. And it is a synthesizer that has lots of little buttons on it and lots of little lights And it's a sequencer as well. And so you can basically program it and play songs, but you can also live perform on it. And it has basically a meta interface. So you look at it, you can sort of push play and start messing around with it. But as you like toggle other buttons, you actually turn the interface that's there into different modes with different colored lights. So it's this thing where you like adaptively learn over time And you become like a better performer and a better composer by learning the different modes. And then you can actually hook it up to an iPad or an iOS device. And you can perform, as you're performing the synthesizer synth music, you can also create visuals in 3D in Unity to kind of cue off and do a live performance like Daft Punk or somebody else would do, right? So they basically created this device to help you learn how to create synth music perform it, and then really interact with an audience. It's a really fun thing. There's a lot of tutorials on YouTube with it, but just the device alone, you can just learn to do all that over the course of a few weeks. Really, it's an incredible experience, right? And so like, that's one of the things that makes it so cool for me. And then I'd say for something that I see get better and better, I like games. Oculus just keeps on updating stuff and really trying to grind it out and make VR relevant. Uh, recently, they updated their whole software suite and made the setup, which used to take. So you'd have to set up like the sensor and the headset and the controllers and all that stuff. And now you literally install it and it just all kind of works. And then they kind of prompt you to kind of set up other stuff. If they think that you might be in a safety issue or you need a bigger room so you can get playing the games right away. It used to have like a 45 minute setup barrier and they've reduced it to like nothing. So I think that that's really cool to keep checking in on cool technology and experiences and see how they're like, we're not going to just settle for 45 minutes to play a game. We want to get it to zero. So that yeah. was pretty cool. It's interesting when you think about, re- I mean, removing that friction to getting to that aha moment or that moment of joy or delight, how important that is. Yeah. And I, and they're knocking it out of the park. You know, like I said, teenage engineering, like is like you can get up and going, but then you can go deep. I think that's another thing. It's like, how do you get somebody kind of successful quickly and then start teasing out a lot of the depth of what needs to happen but isn't necessary and understanding like those are your needs, not the customer's needs. And so I think that you look at Oculus, like they had a lot of needs that were their needs at first and then they're like gotten right to what the customer need is over time. And I think that that's all like definitely with at Rapid7, it's like, It's been a lot about us for a long time. And I think we're getting closer and closer to getting 
the customer to be the thing that we get. We fulfill their needs first. We're just going to be successful, you know, not just be like, uh, you need to get deployment services. You need to talk to this person and you need to do this. And we need you to fill out this paperwork and then we'll talk to you. And I mean, shoot, people just want to use it. Right. So that's definitely what's happening. Yeah. People want to use things and they want to get value or joy. One of the two. So final question for you today, Jay, three words to describe yourself. Ah, uh, boy. So I would say, <laughs> I would say friendly, excited, and thoughtful. Those are my three words today. That's how I'm feeling today, at least, you know. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. This has been great. Yeah, thanks, Eric. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com an online magazine by and for product people.